This is Redefining the Counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. The Punisher, a firearm-wielding vigilante, was pulled from New York Comic Con by Marvel and Netflix, something Steve Harsh, who's been attending for years, understands. I do kind of agree with that out of respect for the victims and for the situation. But another attendee, Leo Lawrence, says the Punisher didn't cause the Vegas shooting. That's only punishing the the fans, and it's only letting the idiot that did it win. Punisher or not, security here is tight with the NYPD's heavily armed anti-terrorism unit standing guard. At the Jacob Javits Convention Center in Manhattan, I'm Julie Walker. the opposite of what the saying is. Divided. We are not enough. World needs Superman. I made him a promise. Why I brought you together. Right ain't over yet. My man. In Tennessee. Oh, you're in Tennessee. Yeah, well, what's I'm the weather Memphis. right there? I, I, oh, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little cool. It's it's a little cool. Uh, it's not 
too, too cold. Uh, it's about, I think it's like 60 degrees. So it, it's nice. Like we haven't, um, we haven't hit the, um, the summer weather just yet, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and uh, you're out in L.A.? I'm in Manhattan Beach, California. Oh, very nice. Okay. Uh, does that count as, like, Southern California or no? Um, it does. It's actually, like, it's L.A. basically. I'm just by the beach. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. How do, you, how do you like living there? You know what? I... There's nothing like a sunset here. It's so beautiful. Um, you know, it's always so spread out and always in traffic, so. I, I won't. There's some bad sides, too. Oh, I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's something kind of magical about LA because people are kind of getting their hustle on, which I think is probably like Nashville in that way. Um, but yeah, because they call Nashville the, uh, the third coast. Yeah, yeah, so I think there's a lot of similarities, but I grew up in Orange County, so I'm a little bit spoiled by the weather. Gotcha. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> dealt with crazy weather or anything. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, okay. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so, um, so did you, now did you grow up in Texas? No, I grew up in, in Anaheim, in, in, which is wow. like home of Disneyland. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very Southern California. We're, we're, I'm very Orange County, for better or for worse. So that's where I grew up, and then I moved to L.A. Oh, boy, I think I moved to L.A., oh, gosh, like 15 years ago. Holy smokes. I know. Has, has L.A. changed a whole lot? I know that's kind of a weird question, but has it changed um you know, I guess over the 15 years? Yeah, well, the room has gone. Let's put it this way. So when I first moved to LA, I moved to the Valley. And you could get a two-bedroom for like $1,200, which was still cheap because you're in the Valley. Um, the rent has gone up. It's doubled in the last, you know, I'd say in the last 10 years. It really doubled. It's, it's hard to get a one-bedroom for 1500 Anywhere, you know, forget about like choice areas you actually want to live, like Manhattan Beach is, but you know, pretty pricey. It's sort of the Beverly Hills of, of the beach. And then, um, I would say the traffic in the last few years has gotten, like it used to be bad just around rush hour and now it's just pretty bad. I mean, the town itself is hard to navigate. Um, and you know we're all dating liberals here, so everyone's very, <laughs> everyone's very, like everyone's very upset with the Trump stuff. It's kind of you know whatever your politics, that's something that permeates through Los Angeles. I would imagine so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's crazy. Everyone's like a super liberal here, so you know. Like, that sort of changed our environment. Like, I suppose in areas that are like states, people have, like, a different attitude. They're like, this guy is awesome. And people in red states are like, we're winning. This is great. So, like, that's a little bit of a difference. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, like, what um, what would you say, like, how do you feel about, like, what's been happening of lately with, just the White House and the president, it seems like so much stuff. You know, I was just reading today that 
uh, Donald Trump Jr. His wife is divorcing him. I, well, he's Trump is good at, at like, I mean, I'm always in a news junkie. Like literally every article has to do with the Trump. They're like the Kardashians, and I mean some of yeah, them because of the media. I mean, you know, you could say that it's the media fixating on it and creating it, but I also think there's a lot of like you know, feed into that by the disruptions and, like, whatever your politics, it's kind of, I mean, I, I understand I have friends who love Trump, and I'm like, that's their prerogative, and I could disagree, but, you know, that that's, they really love that, and they're excited about that energy, but I find it taxing because I think if 50% of the people feel really secure and great, but the other 50% in fear, I, I, you know, I, I, I was like doing Bush. I think people didn't like Bush, but it wasn't where they actually felt in fear. And Bush didn't really, he didn't do things in a direct assaulting way to make people right. be scared. And I think Trump is like, he likes to needle and thinks that's funny. And, and I'm like, yeah, but there's a lot of people who are legitimately afraid of like, being deported and there's like, dip- like diplomacy that you can handle. But you know, Jesus, the problem is people are Trump supporters, they love him and, and what are you going to do? So I'm going to say everything's wrong, you're going to say everything's right. I mean, it would be nice if we all kind of like, we're on the same page a little bit more. I, I agree. I agree completely because, yeah, yeah, he's definitely a lot more polarizing than Bush was, you know? Yeah. I mean, I hate I, I have all my misgivings about Bush, but, like, not the same way. It was more like, ugh, it's a weapon of mass destruction. It's going on. But I'm not, like, nervous about whether or not he could go meet, you know, convince And whether or not, like, like, why are we letting this guy do it who speaks off the cuff and, like, it's not trustworthy, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, because when they announced it, I was, like, so afraid. I was like, what? I, Are you serious? This guy's going to be in the same room. But if you, if you talk to the they're, like, rolling your eyes saying, well, he did such a great thing. He's going to meet with them, and I'm like, like, two super ego guys who are going to, like, of course he wants to meet with them. Like, they, they're the same. Like, they have a lot of similarities. You know, he likes the you know, the president of the Philippines, and, you know, he likes Putin. I'm like, they're, they're guys that, like... They're all megalomaniacs. I'm like, that's what kind of trips me out. I think it's too crazy, but it's true. I go like this, like, dude, I know a lot of wealthy men. I've dated wealthy men. They don't care about poor people. I promise you. The people who care about poor people have a history, like, Bill Gates of donating tons of money to the poor. Donald Trump doesn't, he's not like, it's sort of, it can make you a little bit crazy because you're like, what? Why would you believe that this wealthy man who hasn't been involved in massive charity, you know, he's done some minor charity, actually now has a change of heart and cares about the Red Land? Like, what? I know. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, what are you going to Yeah, I I mean, I... I have this lovely neighbor that I love who's in her 70s and she's from New York and she's like, that's my daddy and she tears up and she loves him. And I always say to her, like, let's pretend, like, let's say you were going with 
45% of his stuff or even 100% of the stuff he wants to do, the president still is representation of all the people. And, you know, I don't know if Obama, like, was aggressive and, and you know, in feeling – I just oh, – it's so upsetting because I feel bad. I feel bad that some people are so excited by him and feel put upon and on the same hand, I feel bad that, you know, I, I, it's really dividing our country in ways that is too unfortunate. Absolutely. The other thing that's really alarming is all of the departures from his cabinet. I mean, we've had more people quit and get fired. Well, I mean, it's just well, really the to listen yesterday and today is... Oh, now there's oh, now we have the divorce. Like every day, I swear to God, they're like this. Like, I don't know if I can curse, but the goddamn Kardashians, where you're like mystified how they stay in the news every day. They're like, how, how are they staying in the news? But they're constantly stealing things, and if they're not in the news, then they start a controversy on Twitter or Instagram. So I mean, they've literally figured out that they have enough family members that even if they just say like. Kim Kardashian's having a slow day. She's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a picture topless holding my baby. Tech. I mean, I don't know how they're not tired. Even Trump, I'm like, don't you wanna like chill out for a day? You're the head of a huge. If this is a corporation, you go. How do you fire half your staff? Like, yeah, that is that is that is an actual <laughs> good question. How do you do that? Well, because you have to train someone, someone new has to come in. I mean, it's, just, it's not easy. If you went to the pizza place and the manager hires 12 people and he sacks, you know, six of them, and then this is happening all the time, you know what? Pizzas wouldn't get delivered properly because it takes a while to learn a job. The government is so much more important than that that you're like, how are you guys having time to do anything? That kind of stuff creates so much gossip and backbiting that, you know, you would go like, oh, this isn't a great way to run this business. I've worked at places as a kid that did stuff like that, you know, and (laughs) and they weren't weren't run very well, but people who love Trump will be like, well, that's what's great about him. He's a disruptor. (laughs) What? What the what? what? (laughs) That's bizarre. (laughs) Wow. It, I mean, it is, I, the whole thing is sort of like, I actually knew that he, I felt very strongly, I, I, I guess I can't say no, but I knew that he was going to be elected, and when I cast my ballot, the guy I was dating at the time, I said, I go, you know, I just voted for Hillary, but I'm telling you right now, Donald Trump's going to be president. He laughed so much at me, Then we went out to dinner and met a bunch of kids, for fun, and I said, I said, guess what? Donald Trump's going to be president, and then we're ready to watch the election, you know, for the tally. And everyone was like, Sadie, you're stupid. I said, listen, I have on my Facebook feed, half of the people are from mid-America, and they really love him more than a lot of people love Hillary. He said, they're like voting for her sort of, you know, mm-hmm. just not really wanting it. Said, These people are like, this is their Messiah. I go, there's no way. We get out of your mind. And when he started with the first vote came in from Florida, everyone was dumbfounded. And I said, like, that's because you guys are being attention. Like, yes. you 
Yeah. You get a little myopic with Zoom, frankly, and, you know, it happens. So now we I have just, to talk. <laughs> I, just, I knew he was going to win when I saw that the race was closer than a lot of people projected it to be. Yeah. When I saw that he was winning states just as quick as her, I was like, okay, he's probably going probably gonna to beat her. Yeah, I I actually thought when he first ran, I said, you know, America's so funny because we're, we're so in all this reality TV content. And I go, I wouldn't be surprised if he got, this is when he first ran, gets like a sizable amount of the votes. Right. Because I was like, people are by themselves. So they're like, what if he's so new, Trump is president? You know, I, mm-hmm. I like sometimes, you know, now it'll be interesting in 2020. What happens? I, I think I, I don't think that we should think it's a slam dunk. Although we're we're Democrats are winning all those different houses and you know Congress, the chairs in Congress. But I still think you know everyone thought that Bush wasn't going to be president on his second term, and he won. So. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm actually interested as well because at this point, you know, the Democrats don't really have anyone that they're just really nominating or going with, you know. No. Um, I mean, look, at Bernie Sanders is not going to be, he's not electable. And I was going to get outhanded to him by Trump with all the, you know, the American Indian stuff. And I right. think it, he, I mean, he's brilliant on a bully level. He's really, you know, with the whole branding people, it's just in their head. But they would be calling it Indian, what's he calling it, Cherokee, or whatever um, Yeah, yeah. I think he is Yeah, it, it, well, that's not what it is, but maybe it is. But, I mean, literally, it's just like what a bully does at school, but it barks to me so much that my brain is like, oh, that's, that's what's going on with her. And, you know, he's... It's silly that when you hear Michael Rubio, you think about him being short. Like, <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Except Bush being low energy because yeah. he says it so much and then it gets repeated in the media. And so your first connotation is something negative. And, you know, I don't really think Oprah is a good candidate because I don't want, I want my politicians to be public servants, not celebrities. Right. But, you know, the other way that he beat them too was like, you know, like Marco Rubio just isn't a really good. He's not a very good debater. No, a lot of them they just they don't do well with uh, verbal conflict um, and confrontation, and so Trump just capitalized on that and just ran with it. I know, and I will say, like, poor people are, are people not as wealthy. <laughs> like, they're really impressed by wealth, and for some reason, you know, they they automatically think that he's smarter, more savvy, and they're, I think Trump already has that kind of gold thing. I mean, it's funny to me because he, he really runs, like, the Atlanta City Casino is such a dump. It's just the worst dump ever. So, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I went there and years ago, and I actually met Donald Trump because I was working for a producer who was very good friends with him, Glenn Larson. And I just met him for a second, and I didn't really think anything of it because I wasn't really a fan of his. And this was before, this was even before the princess. So he was like someone I knew, but, you know, and the, 
because you know I had like gum on the floor. I was sitting at a blackjack table and somebody punched another person in the face for hitting, you know, hitting on, on when they should have stood. And I just remember like his name was on everything. And my friend that I was with when he walked away, when Donald Trump walked away, I was like, um, I said, isn't it so? I go, if your name's on everything, wouldn't you like make sure you don't have trash on the floor? Like, it was really a dingy, dumpy casino. Now, the, the suite we stayed in was beautiful on top, but there was, you know, no suites. But the casino was, uh, it was, it was dank. Yeah. So I, that was my first Donald Trump impression years ago before I even knew that he did Apprentice or did a beauty, you know, I was like 23 or something. Yeah. You you said something there. I mean, you hit on something. You know, if your name is plastered on everything, wouldn't you make sure that you know things are more pristine? That, yeah, that that really stood out to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it's sort of just one of those things where you go, you go, well, if that's if that's the way, you know, he runs that business. I think some of those ideas for the country are saving the country money, but you know. At what price? Like that stuff is kind of like Reaganomics, Reaganomics, but we all thought it was so great, and then we have homeless everywhere. So in the 80s, it was great. Like everyone dance, do cocaine, be fabulous, and spend money. But you know, 20 years later, everywhere's overrun with homeless, mentally ill people. Right. Yeah, people don't realize that. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's Reaganomics all over again. History, history repeating itself. <laughs> but we'll have a tiny wall. You know, and then the wall gets built for them the first five years that, you know, it's, it's rock. So all of a sudden people aren't sneaking into the country as much and so everyone says Trump was a genius. And then six years from now, <laughs> they figure out a new way to bring people in who just fly in and they overstay their visa. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's a problem where you're like, you're like, what? That's how you want to solve it? Like, we're talking, we need long term solutions. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. I mean, everyone, they want to talk, right? I mean, it's, it's mostly a tough country, you know? I mean, no, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, it sure seems like it. I, I yeah. I know there's been a lot of, um, you know, cries from, like, the entertainment industry about, you know, the Trump administration. And um, I don't know. Do you think that, you know, people in the entertainment industry, such as yourself, can help to, you know, change the mind? No, no, no. And I think it's kind of silly. I mean, it's like I, I actually didn't really want to watch any award shows because it's, you know, it sounds like I don't know if people's minds change about politics like by an argument. It's kind of like religion. Some believe in, you know, Catholicism. Like they have to reset themselves. I don't know. I think it's it, people get really frustrated. I talk about it, but you know, I'm not Meryl Streep. You know, Meryl Streep talks about it, and then it makes people kind of feel isolated because they're like, well, with your millions, they don't realize. 
and your fame and your success. Like, what am I? Like, we're hustling and trying to stay alive, and this guy is telling us that, you know, steel is going to make us stay alive. Right. So, I mean, I, I understand if you're, especially if you're living in, like, a small town and the jobs have gone, and you're like, okay, this is great, or you feel, you know, Obamacare is taking money out and you don't feel you want health insurance or you should pay for someone else and you're afraid of MS-15, like, that's something else. It's like, how do you, you got to talk to that in a, in a way that has another idea rather than just saying Trump's an asshole. Like, why not give, that's why we, the fact that Democrats don't have a candidate is ridiculous. And they're going to end up Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought that maybe perhaps they were they were grooming um, um, Senator Kennedy. He, he spoke. Um, oh, interesting. But but um, it doesn't look like he's really the the forerunner. I mean, he gave a great speech, but yeah. Well, and the Kennedys have so much, you know, mess in their family. In a way, I think. Most people, like most younger people, don't have that same kind of cheeriness about committees because they know all, all the scandals, and then it becomes like loyalty. And it would be nice to have. A, I mean, Obama came from nowhere. Like, right, that's right. He kind of came from nowhere, and so it'd be nice to have someone who's like lived a life of service and good. But then they have to be a shark to be Donald Trump. How do you find that combination? Pocahontas. Very good. It's Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, they call it Pocahontas, which is terrible because I think that she would be an interesting choice. But, you know, it seems like all these people, they're, they everyone has massive scandals and they need them too. Very true. Very true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess you'd be hard-pressed to find a politician without a scandal, huh? Well, I would actually love to have somebody who's, like, maybe a moderate Republican who runs under the Democratic Party or as a third party. I think that would be something like a compromise to say, look, you know, maybe if, if the, a Republican who supports, who, you know, is okay with women's rights to choose and is a little bit more moderate on the gun stuff, I think a lot of Democrats would be excited about about that, you know. What do they say? Fiscally uh, conservative, but liberal Republican. Yeah, yeah. I guess that would be a big hit because I mean, essentially, you'd have the best of both worlds, you know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Republicans. It seems like the abortion thing ends up making their mind because they're religious. So then that becomes an issue every election. So if that wasn't an issue. I might be willing to say, so what are you guys doing about immigration? What, what are we saying here? But the women's rights stuff to me is, is, is like a dividing line. Yeah, it is. It really is. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was at the forefront of the 2020 race as well. I mean, I definitely don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's yeah. the issue that, um, Quite frankly, it's going to keep coming up. I mean, it's a lot like the gay marriage thing. You know, it's right. something that's not going to go away unless it's fully addressed. You know. 
And there's nothing you could – there's some people that their religion is so against it that you come out and say, they're aborting nine-month, you know, babies that are term babies. They're going to be like, oh, that's a shame. You know, I don't know if that's what's really going on, but okay. <laughs> so people people's minds are made up. I mean, it's the same reason with this gun stuff. I'm like, no one wants to take away your damn gun. Just your assault weapons. Like, why is that such a big deal? <laughs> Keep yeah. your guns. Keep them. Run around. It's fine. Like, the thing is assault <laughs> weapons, but it, it turns into this, like, fear mongering, which is, you know, it's unfortunate. I guess I, I guess that's why we have movies like Escape, but, you know. Exactly. Which I, w- I wanted to ask you, how did you first get into movies? What What drew you to the craft, because I know it's something that a lot of people dream about doing, and they want to do it, but not everybody has a knack for it. How did you get involved with filmmaking? Um, well, I've always did theater, so I you know, from a really early age, I was really obsessed with acting and loved it, and I loved movies, but I really wanted to do theater, but theater doesn't pay the bills, so I, when I moved to L.A., it took me a while. I mean, I was a single mom. My son was only a year old, and thank God, thank God I was so young and naive because to think of that now, I'd be like, "What are you?" I want to take that and say, "What are you thinking? This is going to be really crazy." But you know, I, I had that like idealic view, and then um, I started doing student films, and you know, you go to acting class, and it just you start doing. It took me a really long time to book a lead, and. Um, a feature film. It was like a decade of, of pounding the pavement. And, you know, and then you start to say, I love theater. That sounds like a different beast. And before you know it, you it's like now I run into people I know all the time and I feel like I'm part of the film community, especially the horror community. Um, and so then you're just in it so deep that you're like, ugh, I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to do something else, but yeah. it's it's part of who you are. I'm sure, I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about, being a creative yourself. Yes, ma'am. I sure do. I definitely, definitely understand. Um, you're like, so, you're chasing the brass ring, which is addictive. It, it, it becomes like you're almost a gambler. Where you go, oh, this, this film is <laughs> really good. Okay, well, the next one, this is it. And you're like, oh, boy. Now, now I'm here. Okay, this is <laughs> Yeah. So, um, how has the the industry changed? Because I know you, you, like you said, you've been involved with it for a while. Um, would you say that it's changed for the better, or are you not so much a fan of the changes that have occurred? Well, I think right now with the Me Too stuff, that's that's pretty powerful. Um, with in some ways, um, I think with like you know. The streaming of movies and VOD for me, since I do indie films and horror films, or you know, most of them are under a five million dollar budget. Um, I think that it becomes kind of a, a, a gift of sorts because you're able to, you know, there's a lot more films. One of the things that's unfortunate because of the internet is a lot of the auditions are done online, which isn't my favorite oh. way to audition. So that to me is kind of heartbreaking because, um, you know, you have so many people. Everyone wants to be an actor now. And they a lot of them want to be an actor to 
to be famous or, you know, because they're been on Instagram or they, you know, make funny videos on YouTube. So it's really competitive. It's really hard to get a job. And a lot of times what people don't know is a lot of the jobs you get in, they're, oh, my gosh, you just booked a Lifetime movie. Congratulations. And they're like, well, Lifetime pays bad ultra low budget. It's $150 a day. And I'm yeah, I mean, not on all their films, but on some of them, some from sci-fi, so you get excited, but these actors on an indie level are, they're, they're struggling, and, and oh they're struggling, God. but online, you, you, you want to look, you don't want to be like, oh, I, I didn't eat today, even though I'm, I'm in this movie, I'm advertising that I made $3,000 on, and worked 14, 15 hour days on, so, and no one talks about that because, that's, you know, everyone funny. wants to be famous online. So they go, oh, she's doing yeah. great. And you go, well, you know, sometimes you make a lot, but this, it's changed a little bit because it's made it harder to be a working actress. But now you're supposed to do your social media, you're supposed to write your website. You're, so it's not like when I first started acting for film, I would mail my black and white headshot to backstage rest. So you would stuff your envelopes and you would mail it. And then if you got an audition, you'd have to look up it up in the Thomas Guide and you find the location and you go. So you, that was a weeding out of a lot of people because you had to be really super committed. And, you know, you had skin in the game. You had money that you were spending on every headshot. And there was something really um, tangible about submitting. Well, now they have casting sites where, you know, they get – on small parts, they could get, you know, 400 blonde-haired girls that are auditioning. So it makes it really difficult oh, to be seen. And yeah. you you got to, like, it's, it's, you got to continually pound the pavement and continually build your name up um, so, you you know, you're marketable, even on indie films. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I'll go to audition and they'll be like, uh, how many Instagram followers do you have? Well, how can I work on my craft and do this if I'm spending, you know, half my time taking hot selfies? That that's how you get. You, know, you don't see a lot of guys with a lot of huge amounts of Instagram followers. You see girls that post bikini pictures with a lot of Instagram followers. So how do you see a normal person? And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. 
but I'm probably shooting myself in, in the foot. Like, you know, it's it just spending time doing that, but uh, it's, a, it's a weird compromise. It's, it's, it is what it is. I don't think it's going away either. <laughs> I don't either. I'm I know. Not, I'm trying not to make light of it, but it's, it's really so messed up. It's, it's like, so messed Men, I mean, nothing, I don't blame you. It, it becomes, it's not you, but I'm saying, it becomes, of course, you're on, you're all these people on Instagram. I'm like, who, I don't have my friends or my kids to post. It's like a bunch of guys and, and some fans from, from the film where they want to see pictures of me and things, but you go, well, I don't know, I have a picture of my son and I. Isn't this a great picture? And it's just like, you know, half the life, and okay. Hey, suckers. Like, I guess you want a bikini picture. And I'm like, hey, I got to do my makeup every day. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> oh, well. Horrible. It is. It's horrible. And you wish you could stop it. But, I mean, years ago, when, when not to bring up the Kardashians again, but when that first started, and now they have the daughter, and now they've had kids, I'm like, I don't know. That's, I don't know how to stop that. It is the ketchup's out of the bottle. You can't put it back. So it makes me sad. But you know, then it's it's also like you're like, well, if I get that one rule, then all of a sudden I have thousands of Instagram. You know, now I have have forty thousand Instagram followers. And and, but I think it's bad. I think I think it's bad because you notice a lot of people feel that they're celebrities rather than that they're actors and they. They behave that way online, and then you know you go out. It's weird. It's weird. Like you go out with someone and they're on their phone the whole time, and then you're like, we didn't even really hang out. And then later on, they post the picture like we had the best night ever and we're best friends. And I'm like, actually, we didn't do shit. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, you know. And then, and then what's so funny is my friends I see a lot. I don't post pictures with them. And they're like, well, how come you didn't take the picture? And I'm like, because I don't want to. Well, I need to say I'm here. I start to, you start to do things for the picture. And then you're like, and, and people form these opinions of you. And it's really weird. It, it, feeds, it feeds the beast that you're kind of stuck with. You're like, you're doing so well. And you're like, I swear I'm pretty depressed right now. But thanks. I don't know. But, you know, online, you're, you're looking like you're killing it. You're playing the dragon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know that you, you actually touched on this, but I, I know you from, you know, your work in horror. Um, what uh, draws you or what drew you to horror? Is it Was that the genre that you always, I guess, envisioned yourself acting in, or did you kind of just fall into it by mistake? Well, it's, you know, I always wanted to do, like, festival films, which I think most actors would say, like, oh, I want to do a Sundance film, or, you know, um, but I think I felt lucky that I did House of Bad, which was directed by Jim Towns, and it was, you know, it was a sweet little script, but, and a sweet little movie, and you could do it like budget, and like, horror films give actors new opportunities to be a lead in a film. And then the horror community is so so embracing that you're like, okay, well, now I've got this other one. But now if you're building a, a fan base and 
you're grateful for it. And I think that there's something also cool about horror films because for me, I'm kind of a nervous, odd character in my own way. <laughs> and so I would go to these auditions and I would be, I would be throwing up outside. I wanted it so badly. And I, oh, would, most. and I would just be so nervous. And so I started to realize that I could go to an audition and kind of hide my nerves in the first meeting. But then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, running away from the killer and bursting into tears. And they're like, how did you do that so fast? Well, I'm just channeling that energy into, you know, being terrified in the script. And there's something kind of, like, then, you know, you start getting parts. And you're like, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm Like, beggars can't be choosers, but I love horror films. I always did in the 80s, so, um, when I was growing up, so... You know, it's it's a cool genre, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And, I mean, when else do you to play those kind of high stakes? Absolutely. I mean, life or death every time. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. it's sort of funny that horror films got a bad rap for a long time um, with acting, and you're like, what are you talking about? This is the hardest thing you could do. And, <laughs> and you have to be the most hard. I mean, you know, you can't have vanity in front of the camera if you want to play a good villain. Because she's probably in, she's going to be covered in blood, and you have to be oh, and she's oh. going to be drooling, and free. I mean, it takes a kind of, <laughs> it takes some fall. It's animalistic like, almost, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when I did Wrong Turn, I was like, you know, having sex with my brother in front of two one of my kids' brothers. Like, two one of you know, casting crew in the middle of the woods in Bulgaria, screaming and howling while it was snowing and, like, really going to town. And I was thinking, this is, this is crazy I'm doing this. I mean, I did this one film that um, I was covered in mealworms. Uh, what was it called? The Pandora Experiment. They covered me in worms, and I was thinking, yeah, I made a couple grand on it, but I was thinking, this is like something you would do on Fear Factor to win 50000 And I'm like doing this willingly for $300 a day. Like, what? <laughs> what? But yeah, you get like, I got to get the shot. This is, you know, this is what it is. And you're freezing and we're so well in the middle of nowhere and they're spraying me off with a hose when it's freezing cold out and I've got the no ones are biting me and I'm like, I, I gotta be fucking crazy. <laughs> like, this is, what am I doing? But, you know, I mean, it's such a hard business to get into that when you book a job, they're like, we're gonna, we're gonna throw a vat of blood on you and you're gonna run around and cry and possibly run away from the rapist. Can you do this? And you're like, damn straight I can. I got a story to tell. Yeah. So mom. <laughs> I mean, you gotta laugh about it because it's so crazy, but, you know, it's the business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think you brought that down beautifully. (laughs) Um, uh, now you you also, um, uh, write and you direct, and, um, you just got done doing, um, the Bill Murray experience. And yeah. I wanted to ask you about this. This is a great documentary. Um, I was actually 
surprised that when I saw your name was attached to it, because, like, I, I had no idea that, you know, because I, I know your work before, and so, like, I had no idea, like, you know, that you had this in you. Um, tell me a little bit about how it came about. What what kind of led you into, you know, just wanting to do this documentary? Well, I was, I'm, first, I'm, I'm a Morgan Spurlock fan, and I really like, I kind of like quirky docs. Like, to me, when I'm, when I'm looking for movies, I either watch a horror film or I'm watching, like, a documentary about bronies or something silly or my baby Drew, which was a little bit, I'm sure a little bit of an inspiration where he tries to track down Drew Barrymore and go on a date with her. And I had, was, like, staying up at night and, and reading all these crazy stories about Bill Murray, and I just thought, why haven't I met him? Like, I'm totally the type who should have a story. <laughs> and I think... I could have done a horror film, but I sort of felt like I really wanted to do something that was kind of fun and, and sweet. Um, not that I'm ashamed of doing the horror films, but I wanted to show another side, and I thought it would be funny to, to be funny. And, and then I got really sucked into, like, any quest. No matter how ridiculous it is, you could be a stamp collector. You get so getting sucked into it, and you're like, I, I, like this is really important to me, and that's kind of what happened with the documentaries. I was like, oh my god, everyone loves Bill Murray, and like the Bill Murray experience is going viral, and wouldn't it be amazing if I tracked down the unicorn? And it became, you know, Bill is a lot more accessible now than he was three years ago. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it just like I got so excited and. As the documentary went, it became like this feverish obsession because, you know, when you start something and you get skin in the game and you're you're doing it, I was like, wanted it more and more. And and honestly, there were so many articles every time. Like, he was just absolutely on the cover of Rolling Stone. He was everywhere. And, you know, in my crazy brain, I was like, this is a sign. I've got to do it. This is exactly what I should be doing. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love it. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> and who doesn't like Bill Murray? Who doesn't like Bill Murray? Well, yeah, I don't one person that doesn't like Bill Murray. I mean, he's, right. he's, he's the only actor. There's some people who don't like George Clooney or don't like, you know, Brad Pitt. But you see Bill Murray, you could be young, you could be old, you could be, like, anyone. It doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your politics. You're kind of stoked with, yeah, he's a man. So I, that was really interesting to me, and I just, I, it, it was a funny journey because I didn't really know what I was doing when I started off making the documentary, and then I slowly, like, you know, became this documentarian, and I was like, oh, I need to do this, and the post <laughs> was the same thing, of like, you know, somehow, like, I feel like I'll be on my grave, so people will be like, here lies Sadie Chat. She loves to kill people and love them. So I'm like, oh, okay. I guess, I guess that's what happened. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What was the, the filming process like and everything? Was it particularly arduous or did well, you know, it was a little heartbreaking. One, because I didn't know what I was doing at the beginning. And I, I had this idea that I was going to film, like, a jackass for girls. And we were going to do, <laughs> it originally was going to be me and my girlfriends, and they were each going to have their New Year's resolution. And mine was going to be Bill Murray. So it wasn't supposed to be the Sadie Cats 
story as much as it was supposed to be like my other girlfriends too. Like they weren't as excited about the project and I couldn't really get them on board and then, you know, you get four girls together and and inevitably that doesn't always work, especially when we're close friends and we're partying together and stuff. So that was really difficult and I think what was really tough is everyone that I would pitch it to, I had like fifty percent of the people would say it's brilliant and fifty percent of the people would say you'll never finish it. And I think oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be like sexism, sexism, but I did find it really odd that when I would say to someone like, this is what I'm doing because of me being an actress and being blonde and them being like, oh yeah, that's cute. Yeah, good luck on that. I didn't really have a lot of people that like said, how can I help you? But like, this is wonderful. I mean, I got money from my executive producer and then he was kind of like against the project. Like every time I had a great idea, he would go, that's a stupid idea. That's not going to work. And I was like, why? I really didn't understand. And it it was really kind of heartbreaking because I would be like, well, this has worked before in other films. Like, this isn't totally insane, but I would say, hey, you know, I'm, he's going to be in um, Morocco. But Bill Murray's going to be in Morocco. I know another actor that's working with him in Las Casa. I know what hotel they'll be at. And it was like, no, you're, this is silly. You're, you just want to go on vacation in Morocco. What? For four days? <laughs> so it was honestly like this. Like, what if you don't get Bill Murray there? I'm like, well, then I still have more to my story. I went all the way to Morocco. And I just had, it's funny, this PJ Souls is so amazing to me, and Joel Mario is so amazing. And one of the reasons is they're kind of, you know, outside-the-box thinkers, and they're kind of sweet optimists. And they were great. They were easy. But I had a really hard time getting people that I needed to to get on, on board, which now is interesting because when I was done, like, I had such an outpouring of love and support that so many people came up and said, you know, you talked about this project for so long, I didn't really believe you. And it was, it was like, a very validating, but also frustrating at the same time because you're like, gosh, I could have done even more with the documentary, but I was so busy fighting other people and rather than, you know, people saying, wow, Sadie, how ambitious of you, how can we help, you know, yeah. Yeah, but, how, um, yeah I mean, you, you hit on something there when you um, were saying that you, um, you know, you had some people that, you know, really had your back on the project and wanted to see you succeed, and then you had some that were just really, like, naysayers and that were really negative. How did you how did you deal with that? Did you Well not very well. I think I I screamed at yelled and insisted that it was going to happen and you know, I, I just didn't give up. I'm sure like your podcast, you know, you're like, Hey, I'm doing a podcast, this is great and then you have people in the beginning who flake and, and yeah. you're like, What? <laughs> like how can yeah. I doing a podcast where I'm interviewing people giving you an opportunity and it's sort of, you kind of scratch your head, and at the end of the day, you go, what? Why would you? Why would you? Why would you? And, yeah, and I, 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 I mean, like, 
you know, you you keep going like, okay, well, I'm not giving up. You can give up. I'm not giving up. And sometimes people even will be like, that's crazy. You're not giving up. This is getting ridiculous. And you're like, <laughs> well, how do you think anything is I mean, I, I was often, I was very puzzled and um, insistent and really believed in it and um, was hungry for it and would stay up at night. And in that, a lot of people were like, are you okay? But I, looking back, I'm like, it wasn't so much Bill Murray driving me crazy as, as people sort of making me have to go through that obstacle of them to continue doing this really kind of fun, silly class, which has been fun. It, it really was difficult on that level. And, I, I, you know, I had to cut a lot of that, some of that out of the documentary. I mean, I talk a lot about it, and you see some of it, but it's because it, it, was, it got overly sad. Like, it's really hard for people to get on board with you know, even as an actor, it's hard like you can have an actor who's mediocre, who's not even good, but she's famous. Are you famous? And, right, right. and they go up on the lines and show up drunk on set and people are like, Oh my god, she's so amazing And you're like, <laughs> you're like she's not amazing. She's like everyone's just like nodding their head. There's something weird about fame and success that People instantly, you know, think that that, like, now now they're on your side. You know, they're excited about that actor who showed up not knowing anyone, not ready to go. But they're just so excited because they're like, well, you know, this person was on page six. This person's in the tabloid. They're amazing. And you're like, I don't really think they're that amazing. But, they, you know, they, they want to make sure they have the picture with the celebrity. And, um you know, it's, it's various grades of celebrity, and sometimes people, I mean, it goes with the Trump thing, people are more supportive of people that um, catch a, a further net, let's say, you know, than horror, horror. I don't know. But <laughs> I love docs. You know, I love documentaries, and I, I would love to make another doc um, as well. I, I think it's kind of a fun thing to be like, I do horror films. I do indie films, I do a lot of them, and I've got my documentary. That's kind of fun. My my fabulous publicist at October Coast, Clint, has done a very good job at kind of (laughs) promoting both of those at the same time, which they really don't go together very well, but yeah. (laughs) I love it, I love it. Um, So this is probably kind of a weird question, but... Um, are you overall, are you pleased with the way that the, the documentary turned out? I am. Like you're creating, it's like sometimes you go back and forth and you're like, hey, I wish I would have done this differently. If I had more time, I would have done this. Um, is, do you have any, I guess, reservations? Yeah, I really or, wish I would have gone to Morocco. I really, I mean, there's certain things that I wish I would have done, but ultimately when the doc was done, I remember when I put the, the, the final animation at the very end, which we actually did it a pre-screening at Hollywood Florida Film Festival where it won, um, you know, it won an award there, the audience choice. Or, and um, what's funny, it actually was the audience choice, or it was both documentary. Um, and I, I came back and we kind of adjusted the ending a little bit. And I just like sat in my living room and just sobbed. Like it was, they felt to me like, well, 
you know, I look like a crazy person on the document. So I didn't protect myself. But, but outside myself, because I've been so long, I went, that's exactly what I, what I set out to say. And there was a, a couple of scenes that, that went, you know, you can't control a documentary, so it, 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 it like, unfolded. And I had to, like, say, this is what, this was my story. And I thought I told it in the nicest way possible. And I had a lot of my friends who were musicians. I put their music in it. My friend Jim Towns who helped me edit it. He did the animation. And there was a lot of things that watching it is as cringe-worthy as some of my stuff as me as the person pursuing Bill Murray is. There's another thing that I was like, you know, the, the core of the doc was always intended to be kind and, and sweet and kind of irreverent. And I'm grateful that I, I do enjoy it on that level. And, you know, listening to it with an audience, we had, you know, 300 people on one screen, 250 people on another screen, 100 people on another, and then all the film festivals. And, and listening to them laugh at Stop, even though they're laughing at me. It's <laughs> kind of nice, but I think it resonated with people who understand how hard it is to have a dream when you're creative and the obstacles that you go through. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not no wood, you know. Like. So, what's next now? I know that um, you're. Um, well, Party Vester Hall is coming out in April, so that's kind of exciting. Um, and that's a horror film, and you get to see maybe an even crazier person as Joan the Bus Driver. Um, the DVD will be released off in April. And I'm going to link if you miss it part in, in Bright's Vacation, which is a trauma film um, that PJ Souls is also in. And that's kind of fun. That's coming out in April, too. And I have not this April, I think a little bit after May Day with Michael Perret is coming out where I play, which I haven't seen, but I play a stewardess who is having some very mysterious things happen on a plane um, with some other actors as well. So we'll see how that is. And now I'm filming a music video this weekend for Five Finger Death Punch. What? Are you serious? Really? Oh, okay, that's very cool. I know that the people who know the band yeah. are obsessed with the band, and the people who don't are like, hmm? Yeah, but they are awesome. They're doing it's something so really cool. special and kind of cool, so I'm, I'm flying to Vegas this weekend to do that. So that's keep cool. your eyes open. How did that work out? Like, how did you... My, my amazing DP, Michael Sue from Party Best to Hell, he recommended me, and I had already worked in Vegas and Party Best, so... They, I think they had seen me and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm very, I'm very lucky that I get to work with them because they're a really fun band and they have, you know, a cult of, of fanatics for them. And, and this is really clever. I, I don't want to give anything away, but what they're doing is really kind of cute and fun. I think the fans are going to go nuts for it. Man, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, where can our listening audience find out more about you and keep abreast of what you're doing? Um, they can keep lots of abreast. Love that word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter, I go Sadie underscore Cat. Although I'm not very good on my Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram would be the best place to. Um, uh, it's just S A D I E K A T Z. If you find me on Facebook, 
Um, I'm wearing a, oh, oh no, actually it's a picture of Scottish Ishtar from Black Beach. So you'll see I have dark hair, but it's just a temporary thing. And um yeah. you about that. I didn't yeah, I I, I assumed you had dyed it or No, it was a wig. It was a wig. Like most of my most of my wardrobe is a, a very long wig and then some some carefully placed chain metal. I was I was pretty moved in that, but yeah. Okay. Scottish Ishtar doesn't wear a lot of clothes. He's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I love talking to you so much. You're such a great guy. I'm glad uh, we got me, to talk. <laughs> me too, Faye. Me too. I yeah, I really, really enjoyed uh speaking with you because I didn't know, like you never know, like with interviews, like they could kinda go one way or the other. You could get somebody that just doesn't want to talk to you and yeah. you know, they, they their publicist has roped them into it and so they've got like an attitude. But it was really cool because you you hit on so much poignant so many different poignant things and it was just I mean, it was exciting to hear, you know, how you got into the industry and you know, just all those tidbits because, you know, like, we don't know. Like, I'm at home watching TV or going out to see a movie, and I don't know that, you know, what goes into it. You know, I just assumed, oh, if you're on the CW or or Lifetime or wherever, you're making big bucks. But that's just not the case with everyone. And it's like, you know, how many people actually know that, you know? No, yeah. Well, I if you're in L.A., you hit me up, and I will take you out for a beer. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> it was lovely talking to you. Thank you so Likewise, much. Thank you so much, Sadie. Okay, take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.